0: everybody to our ASCO GU podcast. My introductions so far have been so poor, particularly the last one um, with Pete Nelson that I've
1: decided to let Brian do the introduction (laughs) on this particular one. So Brian, why don't you do the honors? Yeah. So welcome everyone to our ASCO GU 2022 2022 podcast. We have Petros Grievous, our friend and colleague with us to kick this off. Petros, welcome. Give us, uh, everybody knows you, but give us a a one-liner introduction on yourself and then, why don't you just jump in and tell us
2: uh, you know, just a summary of the data you're presenting, or at least the, the trial design and such? Thank you so much, Brian and Tom, for having me. Always great uh, to be part of the EuroMigos wonderful podcast. Thanks for doing that and inviting me. I'm Petros Grivas. I'm an associate professor at the University of Washington and Fred Hatz here in Seattle. And I'm very, very excited to be part of ASCO GU. And uh, specifically, very, very excited to present the data. From the trophy, usual as usual, one cohort three trial uh, that uh, uh, it's part of this uh, oral session on Friday at, at ASCO GU. evaluate mm-hmm. uh, the safety efficacy of the combination of pembrolizumab and PD-1 plus satsudzumabivitin, antibody-drug conjugates against trop-2 uh, linked to. And chemotherapy, a metabolite of irinotecan, called SN38. There have been data suggesting that uh, toposomerase 1 inhibition, well, like SN38 is a metabolite of irinotecan, top 1 inhibitor, top 1 somerase inhibitor, uh, can be immunogenic, can cause immunogenic cell death, release new antigens, and also depleting T regulatory cells, upregulating uh, MHC class 1 and TGL 1. So there was a strong rationale. Petros- combined... but it
0: does also cause quite a lot of myelosuppression. And it also causes a lot of, uh, so both the myeloid and lymphoid lin- lineages are suppressed
2: by sm 38 Is that correct? That's a good point, Tom. And we have seen that in the cohort one of the trophic zero one trial. And we saw that as well in this cohort. And I'll, I'll go back to that great point in a second. A very, very good question. So the rationale was there. Uh, if this was a single arm phase two study. Uh, we... Power the study to look uh, at 41 patients, we had the leading safety cohort of about 10 patients. If no safety signals were seen, we we'll plan to continue with a total of 41 patients evaluating the combination. The dose was the classical standard dose, PEMBRO 200 milligrams, intravenously once every three weeks, and the satituzumab of Rovitica, I would call it SG, 10 milligrams per kilogram on days one and eight, every 21 days. That's so, FDA, so petros what we've got so far is we've got a drug which we like it's got fda
0: accelerated approval as a single agent in platinum refractory disease sg has a response rate of 27 percent it's got a, it, it's got a um in comparison in the same population type of population in unfortunately has probably a slightly higher response rate of 40 percent um the the story then is what you're now doing is you're seeing if the addition of pembrolizumab into the same population can bounce that response rate up a bit, and you've done this
2: in about 40 patients. Is that correct? That's a great summary. That's right. This is a platinum refractory population, second line. And the makeup of the patients, which I think is important for a discussion, 41 patients, about half of them had a metastatic disease and got chemotherapy. The other half approximately had neoadjuvant or adjuvant platinum-based chemotherapy, so half and half, and they got platinum-based chemotherapy. And I think it's important to note that from that uh, cohort of patients, especially those with metastatic disease, the best response rate to prior systemic platinum-based chemotherapy was low, about six. Um, percent uh, of what the response rate to platinum-based chemo, just giving you an idea of the population that went on on this study. And about three quarters of the patients had the Belmont score at least one. A quarter had the Belmont score two. The other interesting factor was that if you look at the median time between the last chemotherapy dose prior therapy until the screening for that particular study for the metastatic disease cohort was about a month, so a month and a half. So Petros, hey, you're killing me. You're killing me. What's the response rate? What's the response rate? So- <laughs>
0: I'm giving you. I'm giving you the background. The suspense background, is killing people. us. Yes. <laughs> I'm giving you the background. I have a question before
1: you get to response rate, just to annoy Tom a little bit. In the prior uh, SG studies, was response to prior platinum was that associated with response to SG at all? Because you mentioned that this was a a particularly unresponsive group. Does that does that matter?
2: That's a great point. I don't think we have a lot of data. We haven't looked specifically at that cohort. We, we went in and we looked at that data in more detail for this study. <clears throat> also, we have a separate complete poster. Um, one of our mentees, Dr. McCrackis, is showing that data that short time on private platinum chemotherapy is a poor prognostic factor overall across therapies. Sure. So we sure. think it's more a prognostic factor. So, yeah. you know, as Brian, as you and me have talked before, you know, the selection factor is relevant. So that's why I mentioned this yeah. as a relevant factor here. All right. Tell Tom the response rate. Before now to make to, to to satisfy Tom's a great good question The response <laughs> of the of overall response rate in the study was 34% so for, we we needed 13 patients in order to reject the null hypothesis of a response rate of 10% or less and we had 14 out of 41 so 34% overall response rate additional 11 patients had stable disease as best response so the clinical benefit rate CRPRSD was sixty so one percent. So once the What's your
0: year. what's your PFS and have you got an OS signal?
2: Median PFS was five point five months. Uh, still early. The median duration of response and median overall survival were not reached yet. Still waiting for more events.
1: And duration of follow up, Petros, so far? The,
2: the so far five point eight months. So oh, still so early.
1: pretty pretty early. Okay. Pretty,
2: Petros, pretty early. I've uh, I've tried some of
0: these drugs in combination and uh, I've tried this drug and. You know, it's as with the other ADCs, it has a unique, not a difficult toxicity profile, but it's different from chemotherapy or immune therapy or FGF inhibitors. Um, we know about fatigue, diarrhea, and neutropenic sepsis. What problems did you see with the combination? Great question, Tom.
2: I, I will just mention one more thing because I got toxicity data. The tumor uh, shrinkage rate was 63%, with the two heads of the patient have some reduction in the tumor yeah. burden on scans. But your question is important. So if you talk about toxicity, the most common uh, toxicity that was treatment emergent of any cause was diarrhea, was 76%. And about a quarter of patients had grade three or more diarrhea. That's a treatment emergent of any cause. Nausea, anemia, neutropenia, fatigue were the other treatment emergent adverse events. If you focus on treatment-related adverse events, we had a, a, a 70% of patients with diarrhea and about 20% were treatment-related grade 3 or 4 diarrhea. Now, And this is the question, what is causing that? So we're looking into more detail, the breakdown of patients. We went ahead and we looked at the patients who had uh, uh, overall treatment-related grade 3 or 4 adverse events. This happened in five, 59% of patients. And about 39% of patients had a such to reduction of the dose due to an adverse event. There was no treatment-related death. And we looked at the data, about one out of four patients got some form of steroids, and up actually, particularly four patients, so 10% had the oral or systemic steroids. So <laughs> overall, such tuzumab uh, um, and uh, pembrolizumab overall was tolerated as a combination, but some... Sorry, Petros, detect... repeat for me, treatment-related grade 3 or 4 was what? Treatment-related grade 3 or 4 was 59%. That's quite high. It was quite high with a combination... Uh, We are looking at more detail about how many of these patients were managed. Majority of them were managed as an outpatient. Uh, Important to note that 29% received growth factor and 10%, one out of 10, had febrile neutropenia. But none of those four patients had prior growth factor. So growth factor could potentially be utilized more. Sounds like
1: most of the toxicity was chemo-based, not immune-mediated. Is that fair? Sounds like. I agree, yeah. and,
2: and one of the conclusion, Brand, to your point is, you know, if you look at the, the data from other checkpoint inhibitors for context, the systemic uh, steroid requirement was about the same, was about ten percent. Yeah, so not higher.
1: So million dollar question: I mean, is there enough of a signal here to move this forward? Is it just too early? You know, might you see some delayed responses because it's quite a bit of toxicity? you know, in, in this tough patient population. So I know it's P- not just you your decisions, but...
0: can, can I build on that? So you've got Pembro in platinum refractory disease with response rates of 21. You've got SG as a single agent of 27. And here you're in the mid thirties. Um, what, what's your what's your take on it?
1: It's a hard um, question. You just basically asked the same question that I asked. No, it's, yeah, it
0: is, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in this issue around additivity. Or antagonism? That's what I'm trying to get to. I should have said just that instead, and I apologize for repeating <laughs> the question, Brian. <laughs> this is this. a
2: this is very, very good question overall. I think, you know, if you think about the additive or synergistic, you know, you, you would like to see a higher number to talk about additive or synergistic. Having said that, I think the key factor here is the patient population. It's a single-arm phase to study with a lot of poor uh, actors, as we call them, getting in. So it's hard to tell for sure. It's probably a little bit early. Uh, I would like to see a little bit further follow-up. Having said that, having you know, uh, said this introduction of the patient population, I think this 34% is actually uh, maybe reflective of that. Um, and I think this combination merits further investigation. I would say both in the platinum refractory setting, but also in the front line. Well, you have a different patient population i think it merits more investigation it's probably enough to at least look at this forward it's not practice change in any way but definitely needs more attention i think more evaluation but, but
1: just, let me push you on that because that's like an abstract conclusion merits further investigation like if if you were king of the world and had all the money <clears throat> i mean are you doing a big phase three are you just going to expand and say well you know forty is a pretty small you know smallish phase two let's let's treat 100 patients and da 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 you know and just and sort of expand on the signal seeking or, or where would you go next?
2: Great question, Brian. So practically speaking, I would say three directions. Number one, the Trophy User 1 study has five cohorts. Right now, we're focusing the attention on cohort four. This is in the frontline setting. And what we're doing there is a little bit different. We look at cisplatin plus acetuzumab and uh, then switch maintenance of plus acetuzumab. So building upon the Javin Platter 100 data. Cohort five actually looks at the triplet is platinum plus satidusma plus a velumab, so combination there. So it's kind of a triplet, not a doublet. But there's also discussion about doing a study in the frontline setting, and that's something that you know we have to further discuss. Uh, but I think it's probably it earlier and maybe a bigger uh, picture here.
1: This is really just, I forgot about this study, this is really just one of sort of several signal-seeking strategies, right, across that's front right, and second line. Yeah. Petros
0: EV Pembro has got a frontline response rate of 74%. Um, erdafitinib of tralimab sixty eight percent in modest numbers in a biomarker select population. This is a second line population, not a frontline population. And you're at thirty two. Are you? Does it? Are you nervous about this, or do you think you just park this data and wait till you get frontline? Does this help you make that decision? I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure it does. I, I mean, clearly, after th- of thirty two, you'd be brave to go frontline. It looks better than pembro, but you know, if you gave. You know, if you gave EB plus Pembro, would it go from 74 all the way down to 32? Um, single agent EVs got a response rate of 40% in this population. So it doesn't look as good as that, does it? Um, can we get that from you? It doesn't look as good as single agent <laughs> EV data from the back of the room. <laughs>
2: you know, just, just a quick edit. This is a, it's a small difference, it's 34%. 14 out of 41 patients, that's a small, small difference. But to your point, Tom, you know, obviously when you see that numbers, you know, this is a big difference. But I think, it, again, what we discussed before, it's relevant. It's a completely different patient population. This platinum-fit, 45 patients from line setting uh, in a phase one B trial versus a platinum refractory, mainly platinum-progressor population, which we know they do worse overall. So it's hard to put that in context. Obviously, we want the numbers to be higher, no doubt. But overall, I think it's, it's very, very hard to compare. Is there a reason to believe the response rate might go up over time? I mean, five months is a pretty short fall,
1: right? It's just really a, a couple scans, probably two or three scans at most. Or, right. or no,
2: because this, I mean, it's really the chemo driving the response right here, right? So do you think you,
1: you're kind of at what you're gonna see?
2: It's a good question, Brian. So if you look at the median time to response, it was about two months. So at the time of the first scan. So right now we have 11 patients with stable disease at the data as best response. Uh, and, and about half of them, about four of them, had more than six months. I don't think the number will change much going forward, to your point. Uh, maybe a little bit, but not like significantly. Sure. So I think we may add up probably there somewhere in the mid late 30s. Petros,
0: one or two people say to me that we need to be looking at biomarkers with ADC. I'm guessing you're not presenting any of that data in this small cohort. and There's no reason why you should. What's the future of biomarkers with this drug?
2: Fantastic question, Tom. I would definitely want to look at biomarkers. Overall, I would say with the Satitudino program, we have to look further at biomarkers across cohort. We have not any data uh, here at ASCOGU. You're right. We have looked at data, Johan Lorio presented in the past, uh, a potential association between TROP2 uh, protein expression of the uh, cancer cells and the response. And what we saw was response across the spectrum of TROP2 protein expression. That was a little bit higher response rate with higher trope-to-expression, but we also know that lower. But this is not enough. I think we we'll have to go further, do further work, you know, look at molecular uh, well, subsets, do a look at DNA uh, uh, repetitive mutations. I would like to see more about the human microenvironment, and especially in the context of the combination, I think we will be interesting to see all those biomarkers. Petros, the distill what I think you've said today is that the
0: response rate is not as high as perhaps you might have liked but not low enough to drop the combination completely the adverse event profile is 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 there but manageable as we would expect with ADCs and immune therapy and combination but what you've also said is that you've not seen enough from this combination to definitely take things forward and you want to see data from other cohorts first and that includes other cohorts within this trial is that is that
2: is is that correct, or would you like to correct what I just said? I think it's a good summary. I think based on what we have, I think it's reasonable to think about the first line trial design, looking at immune checkpoint inhibition plus atezumab. It's not unreasonable to do that based on the current data. I think as we evolve, and we get data from cohort four. The question will be strategy, right? Where do you put your resources? Do you do a study focusing on maintenance therapy? Do you take the double? Do you do a triple? And I think the cohorts. But I think it's reasonable to think about that in the setting.
1: Petros, this is great. Thanks. I think we'll wrap up. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Congrats on the presentation. We look forward to, I guess, more cohorts, more data from this drug in this combination.
0: Petros, we can end this podcast by saying I'm looking forward to seeing you which is something yes. that we haven't been able to do that much of. <laughs> so uh, I am happy to seeing you. Let's make some, uh, let's make some, uh, some
2: time together and uh, we'll see each other soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Miss you both. And thanks, guys, for all you are doing. Fantastic podcast. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Petros. Thank you.